Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. It's Curious City, where we take your questions about Chicago and the region and investigate, report, explore from WBEZ. Hi, I'm WBEZ reporter Monica Eng. Today, we're going back into the archives to bring you a story we first did in 2015. It's about one of Chicago's oldest ethnic neighborhoods, Little Italy. And there are a few things you need to know before we get to the story. First, Chicago's had many Italian neighborhoods. But the biggest and the one actually called Little Italy is southwest of the loop around Taylor Street. But when tourists actually get to it, well, they're pretty confused. Here's author Kathy Catrambone. They see on the map the words Little Italy, and they come here and they look around and they'll ask you, where is Little Italy? They'll go into the beauty shop and ask, where is Little Italy? And she'll say, you're standing in the middle of it. That's because today, Little Italy has just a handful of Italian joints, but loads of Asian restaurants, cupcake shops, and national pizza and sub chains. Another thing, in the 50s, Little Italy was big, vibrant, and really Italian, as in Italian parishes and even Italian spoken on the street. It had everything. It had bakeries on side streets. There were many butchers and fruit stands and little grocery stores. So, you know, there weren't the big jewels and those kinds of stores here, but you didn't need them. Last thing you need to know is that the University of Illinois at Chicago now occupies many of the blocks where those Italian businesses and homes once stood. This is where questioner Ronnie DeMay comes in. His great-grandparents settled around Taylor Street nearly a century ago. But Ronnie, he grew up on the north side, so he's bummed that today this once vibrant little Italy is nearly gone. People generally don't like just being American. They want to be something else. Mm -hmm. And you need a place to do that, especially in Chicago, city of neighborhoods. I guess as an Italian, I felt like, well, where's my neighborhood, you know? Ronnie's question is really a mission for us to check out a rumor he heard growing up. It's basically a theory about why Little Italy disappeared. I'd always heard that the Italian voters went against Daly in an election, and because of that, he made the decision to put UIC smack dab in the middle of their neighborhood and bulldoze countless things. Hmm. Ronnie's connecting a lot of dots here. The UIC campus was completed in 1965 and considered Mayor Richard J. Daly's pet project. But did Daly actually plop UIC on top of Little Italy as payback for Italian voter disloyalty? Given Daly's reputation for strongman politics and Chicago's weird history, doesn't feel like a stretch. Also, it's worth teasing out the history of what happened between UIC and Little Italy because it explains a lot. Not just whether Ronnie's theory is right or wrong, but why, to this day, so many Italian-Americans remain bitter about one of our city's most powerful mayors. So in the stories Ronnie heard, Mayor Daley punished Italian-American voters for going against him in an election. But what do the numbers say? Daley ran for mayor in 1955. 
here's how he did in Little Italy's first ward. Richard J. Daly took the 1955 election in the first ward with 89% of the vote. This is Chicago Board of Elections spokesman Jim Allen. And then in 1959, he took it with 87%. So he was pretty popular in the first ward, it seemed. Yeah. I mean, out of like 20,000 votes in either election, he took 18,000. So the idea that Daly was out to punish voters, that just doesn't hold up to the numbers. Also, Daly seemed to have a pretty good relationship with Little Italy beyond the ballot box. By the 50s, Little Italy activists were revitalizing the area, and Daly seemed to be an ally. Some areas were declared urban renewal sites, and City Hall was approving development plans. And when a new church and school went up, who came to the opening? Daly did. So if the neighborhood and Daly were so tight, why did he bring UIC to Little Italy? Here's what we know. At the time, UIC was basically a two-year program with a makeshift, overcrowded location at Navy Pier. Daly wanted a permanent four-year university, something world-class. The university board pushed for spots in the suburbs or the city's west side, but those were too far out for Daly. Kathy Catrambone remembers Daly wanted to serve commuter students. He was really convinced that it needed to be near the Eisenhower and the Dan Ryan. And again, the close proximity to downtown, not too far from Union Station. Daly was pushing for an old rail yard south of the Loop. But the clock was ticking on a crucial state vote for construction funds. And when that deadline was close, the railroad owners couldn't agree, and they wanted way too much money. So in early 1961, Daly and UIC went with Plan B, Little Italy. There has been no occasion that has given us greater satisfaction than this, the making of a dream into reality. The news came as a shock. Taylor Street residents felt betrayed by a mayor they helped elect twice. Neighborhood activist Florence Scala led an army of protesters to confront Daly. Here's what he told them when they arrived at City Hall. You know, he was real gracious and real sweet Irish guy. He was smiling and he said, now I'm going to build homes for you. I know that this is going to be upsetting for you, but you're all going to have new homes and you're all going to be happy. But Scala didn't buy it. Her faction fought daily for two years with protests and a lawsuit that was ultimately shot down by the U.S. Supreme Court. One of his comments that he'd make whenever he he loved neighborhoods and he wanted to keep the city together through its neighborhoods. He really didn't give a damn about the neighborhoods. When When push came to shove, if somehow or another you were in the way of his future plans, the neighborhood didn't matter that much. If this is all you saw, it could be easy to cast the UIC fight as Daly versus the Italians. But it's important to note that he had some key Italian support. This included mafia-connected ward bosses, business leaders, and a lawyer named Oscar D'Angelo. D'Angelo was known as the unofficial mayor of Little Italy. He garnered Springfield's support for the plan and defended it in public meetings. For this, D'Angelo paid a price. Here's his take from a music-heavy documentary made by his wife. When Mayor Daley announced the establishment of the University of Illinois at Chicago, it appeared that the community had been uh, treacherously betrayed. Uh, Those are probably the words that my good friend Florence would use. Matter of fact, um, 
I was hung in effigy. Some people thought that I should be hung in reality for taking the side of the university. In this video, D'Angelo suggests that the final deal saved part of the neighborhood rather than losing the whole thing. The construction of UIC in 1963 destroyed more than 800 homes, 200 businesses, and displaced thousands of people. But more than that, the fight between Daly, Scala, D'Angelo, and the rest, it left open wounds in the Italian community. And with the wounds came rumors. Our questioner, Ronnie, grew up with these rumors, but he's not the only one. Loyola University professor Art Lariccio says his Italian-American family lost its home to UIC. My experience, utterly daily versus the Italians. There was a widespread sentiment that Mayor Daly disliked Italians. That plays out in several theories. Some are pretty different from Ronnie's. Like the theory that Daly broke up Little Italy to counter Italian political power in the First Ward. Or that Daly did it to neutralize organized crime in the neighborhood. Or because Daly was Irish and he just didn't care for Italians. The logic here is that there had to be some reason he turned his back on the neighborhood. We were very, very loyal Democrats. We were part of the machine. My dad's father worked for the park district. My uncle Joe worked for the precinct captain. But there was a sense Daly hated us. If you're inclined to give Mayor Daly the benefit of a doubt, you'd point out that his first choice for the UIC campus was south of the loop, not Little Italy. He did say UIC was one of his proudest contributions to Chicago. But interestingly, Daly, one of the most powerful mayors in modern history, was still defensive about the decision. Here he is in a speech 12 years after the fight. Certainly there was opposition to this site. In public office, everyone wants something, but they want it some other place. And someone has to make the decision. We completed the urban renewal of this great university. Whether you believe Mayor Daley had good reasons or not, this chapter in Chicago history sheds a light on decades of animosity between Daley and local Italians. Basically, the whole city gained a university, but the Italians lost a vibrant neighborhood to call their own. As for Ronnie, well, he's got his own takeaway. He's still sad about the loss, but also glad to discover some new Little Italy characters who fought back to save their neighborhood. Florence Scala is my new hero. I really wish I would have known about her earlier because she is just amazing. Even though she failed, she fought a good battle. The times we had, oh, when the wind would blow with rain or snow, were not all bad. Reporting on the story comes from me, Monica Eng. Special thanks to Mark Filipino for research help. Support for Curious City comes from the Conan Family Foundation. Next time on Curious City, data show many Chicago homes have lead in the drinking water. Chicago has more lead service lines than any other American city, even though they've been considered unsafe for a long time. Most municipalities stopped using lead service lines in the 1940s or 50s, but Chicago was an anomaly. In fact, Chicago continued to lay lead pipes into the 80s due to the efforts of a very powerful lobby. That's next time on WBEZ's Curious City.
Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.